Don't turn it off now. You need this stuff. Tampa Bay's Tantalk Radio Network. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. They've broken on 5 earlier than they've ever jumped a gun before. Kinski gets away just in front of Holbert. into the first turn. Surtees leads Rodriguez. Gurney and Penske into the S's just in front of the famous Sebring first lap traffic jam. It's Rodriguez ahead down warehouse straight, but he can't make the turn. Surtees moves into the lead through Webster. Penske second. Rodriguez struggles back, but has dropped several places. McKelvey Zabarth is too deep into the turn, and he's not as lucky as Rodriguez. It's Surtees and Penske on the back straight. Look at Penske move. Penske's Corvette is by Surtees Ferrari through the timer stand turn, and the young automobile executive takes the lead as they complete the first lap. Pulls off Rodriguez and passes the start line in second place. Here's the first Shelby Cobra running sixth with Dan Gurney at the wheel. Rodriguez has caught Pinsky on the turn and is now second to Surtees as they streak through the S's toward the hairpin. Shelby's token entry in the prototype class, a standard Cobra stuffed with a huge seven liter engine, hasn't been right since driver Ken Miles had an accident with it during practice. The Gurney Johnson Cobra is running beautifully. First in Grand Touring and staying there with no trouble. Handling well and showing great speed on the straights. Meantime, the factory Alfa Romeo team with a free car entry hopes for a GT Division II win, although outpowered by the rival forces. 
The Daytona Cobra is in. McDonald surrenders the car to Holbert, but not before some air conditioning is provided. Both men complained of the hot cockpit, but McDonald had unusual trouble. They can't keep my feet on the pedals. It gets pretty hot down there. Have to get some kind of shoe to keep the heat off. When I went out first, I used the wrong kind of shoes, and it burnt the bottom of my feet, and now they get sore pretty easy. You know, the shoes I have are all right, except the bottom of my feet are already burned a little. It doesn't seem to be bothering Bob so bad. The Penske Hall Corvette has settled down. After a spectacular dash at the opening, Penske is content to stay in the top ten, running behind Gurney and Holbert. Penske and Hall have trouble. Their mechanics are taking a half shaft from a stock Corvette in back of their pit. The half shaft broke while Penske was out on the course. According to the rules, he must walk back with the needed parts, with a pit steward along to see that his mechanic does no more than advise, as Penske makes his own repairs. It'll be an hour and a half delay. The overall Grand Touring Division race is all Cobra at the moment. The Gurney Johnson car is first GT uncontested. A solid fourth overall behind the Ferraris. Scarpiotti and Baccarella are first now. Parks Maglioli second. Sergi Spandini third. And the Holbert McDonald Cobra fourth. First GT. And Mike Parks takes Jesse Coleman's checker to lead the Ferrari blitz. Parks and co-driver Maglioli share the winner's spoils. Scarpiotti and Baccarella were second. John Surtees and co-driver Bandini third. But of greatest delight to the crowd was the tremendous Cobra performance. True to his hopes, Carroll Shelby whipped the Ferrari GTOs, taking the manufacturer's championship lead at the same time. Holbert and McDonald led the GT winners and placed fourth overall, five laps behind the winning Ferrari. I won the World Manufacturers Championship in the Ford Cobras in 1965. And you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, TantTalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in sparkling downtown Clearwater. You know, we got some spectacular weather. How are you doing this evening, Bobby? Pretty good. Pretty good? <laughs> anyway, oh yeah, what did I say? Oh yeah, run your computers in Google, TantTalk1340.com. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, check out the podcast section of our website. And Bobby, do you want to take care of the social media? Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, YouTube. Nostalgic Radio and Cars. How about that? And then uh, the Periscope thing is what? Is it NRC Live or something like that? At NRC on air, Periscope, and Twitter. Okay, there you go. Very good. Anyway, well, we had a spectacular weekend as usual. Let's see what we do. We went to a couple car shows this weekend, but the big thing was the uh, National Street Ride Association, which was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Of course, we got rained out. We had kind of an interesting time over there because we set up on Saturday, and uh, it was Jeff, Ice Ice Jeffy, and... Uh, the founder and creator of Speed Culture. Yeah, I'm a co-founder, at least according to the website. But I'm the guy that contributes all the car stuff and the PR stuff and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But Jeffy is the wizard behind creating the app. He's make this thing, makes this thing work exquisite. I mean, the guy's pretty brilliant. So, and, of course, you know, he's learning. It's a learning curve, too, you know, because we've been out since uh, actually we launched this thing at SEMA last November 1st. By the time we got to November, we had something like, oh, yeah, 
Speed Culture Minute. That's what we got right now. Now let me jump back. Um, when we launched the uh, Speed Culture app in uh, November, it was the first week in November, we were out at SEMA, and uh, we had about 150 users. Now we got those within one week, and we only had the app working on Android. We didn't even have it approved on Apple yet. It didn't get approved until the following week. We were anticipating it on Tuesday that week, but unfortunately it didn't happen until the following Tuesday. And uh, the approval process for Apple takes a little bit longer than it does to, uh, you know, to get anything approved on, um, via Android. But at any rate, so here it is. We're coming up on April, okay, April 1st. We just had this past week on April Fool's Day. And uh, so that would be November. So that would be December, January, February, March, okay, so the end of March. So that's four months. In four months, we've got over 5,000 users, okay. We've pretty much saturated Tampa Bay because we've hit tons and tons of shows. Now, Jeff is super when it comes to social media and all that uh, other stuff that he does with the computer and all that wizardry that uh, I say that big talks where's doodly squat of course you're pretty good at that kind of stuff too bobby because you've been doing it on our deal for uh, nostalgic reading cars and you're doing some stuff for festivals of speed but at any rate uh, so we got five thousand users we've got something like sixty five hundred to seven thousand people a month that go to the website so this is a very very useful tool now jeff's refining it probably by the end of this month we will have the classified section a full-blown classified section where you can advertise your cars we're gonna have the uh directory there so people that that uh, have um, local businesses that want to advertise on the directory so people can find you if you have a certain service or if you have a shop or something like that, um, you can uh, advertise there. And then also banner ads, you know, for businesses and stuff like that. So, and keep in mind, Speed Culture, the mobile enthusiast app, works anywhere in the country. We know it works because we used it in California, we used it in Las Vegas, we used it in Arizona. And it's being currently used up in Michigan. We know that for a fact. And in Chicago and in New York because we have users all over the place. So we're truly, truly excited about that. Now, so much for speed culture. Now, speaking of speed culture, if you go to the website, which is speedcultureapp.com, you can find out all the stuff that's going on. But most importantly, May 7th is the best of the Bay Car Show. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the best of the Bay Car Show. We will have somewhere between 300 and 350 cars lined up in a row to come out there and hang out with us for the day. We're going to have vendors. We're going to have giveaways. We're going to have T-shirts. We're going to have all kinds of cool stuff. So visit the website, speedcultureapp.com. Find out more about it or simply just download the app and you'll get all the information there. Right? Did I, how, did I, how am I doing so far, Bobby, with the social media thing? Yeah, you don't, you, don't, you don't really have to do anything more to find out about Best of the Bay Car Show than download the app because... It's going to bug you every time you open the app, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Exactly right. Now, uh, Jeff, myself, and Bobby will be the judges, and we're going to have a number of car clubs there. We're going to have low riders. We're going to have hot rods. We're going to have street rods. We're going to have road race cars. We're going to have 4x4s. We're going to have 4x4 trucks, 4x4 Jeeps, just all kinds of So everybody, everybody's invited. Our good friends from Cop Cars Online, and I know they're listening because they're one of our regulars. They will be bringing out something. Uh, our good friend Mark Goodall from Orlando is going to be bringing out his uh 6970 Charger that was used in the movie Fast and the Furious 4, 4 or 5, I know that. Uh, beautiful car. It's going to be there, more than likely. And probably some other surprises. So we're Yeah, really even, even Lola's going to bring her new little... She's going to borrow a sporty little ride. She's going to borrow a sporty little ride. That little Alpha that was out there, we saw her driving around in earlier. Yeah, pretty cool piece. So at any rate, that's what's going on there. Now, on March 16th, over at Meineke on 66th Street, we're going to be doing... The, that's the 16th of April. We will be doing the Meineke Car Care Grand Opening Celebration. Now, we tried this a month ago. And what happened was is we got severely rained out. So that didn't work out too good. So check out Speed Culture 
either go to the app or go to the website, speedcultureapp.com, and you can participate in that. We're looking for cars. We're going to have, uh, courtesy of Advanced Auto Parts, they're going to have a barbecue there. So they'll be having hot dogs and hamburgers and potato chips and cookies and all kinds of cool stuff. So, And it should be just a lot of fun. you know. Plus, if you need your car worked on, hey, you're right there at Mighty Key Car Care. So you know, John and his lovely wife will be glad to work on your car. Now, I think I pretty much covered everything there. Now, let's go back to what we did this weekend. Besides getting rained out at the NSRA deal, National Street Ride Association thing, our tent almost blew away. Now, Jeff had to leave early, so it was just Bobby and I manning the tent, and I should have listened to my son. He said, well, why don't you just go ahead and set up inside? But unfortunately, we thought, well, you know, it's not going to show up until about 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. By then, we, you know, we wanted to be out in the fresh air and everything like that. Uh... Bad calculation on my part. You two are just dumber than a bag of hammers. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, needless to say, the wind came, picked up the thing, and of course, my concern was is we're near a couple show cars, and I certainly didn't want to buy a couple Chevrolet show cars, me being a Ford guy and stuff like that. Although, Don't make me come up! I'm sorry, I gotta call you back. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, we got everything done. We brought the tents down. We got everything back of the truck, and uh, we, the only casualty was a uh, was a uh, bottle of Garage One Speed Wax, which got knocked off during the wind and broke the top. And we had this really great smelling purple stuff floating all over the place, a stream of it. Oh, by the way, yeah. Hey, if you need some really cool uh, car care products. Be sure and check out Garage One. They're our good friends. And, of course, if you got a car that you're going to be putting Garage One Speedwax on, you're probably going to need some parts for it. So then, if you're working on the classic Mustang or a Camaro or a Trans Am or a Ford truck or even a Chevy truck, hey, don't forget National Parts Depot, our good friends up there in Ocala, National Parts Depot, because they can help you out with all the parts you need, all the trim, all the body parts, all the, you know, well, let's say no mechanicals. The mechanical stuff, you'd have to go to somebody else. But anyway, having said that, National Parts Depot has got a lot of stuff on, on their deal. And, uh, hey, if you're into exotics and stuff like that, don't forget to pick up a, a DuPont Registry magazine, and uh, you can find some pretty cool stuff in there. So if you're looking for a Lamborghini, let's say, like, Jeffy likes Lamborghini Countaches, or if you're looking for a Huracan, or a Ferrari 458 Italia, something like that, or a Porsche DT3, or a Turbo S, you definitely want to go cruising through the uh, DuPont Registry magazine. Right, Bobby? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, speaking of which, uh, let's see, what's this weekend? Uh, oh, last weekend was the Reeves Cars and Coffee thing. That was in the morning. My guess is, and Garage One, they had their car show, too. Now, the other thing is, Friday night, we went to the uh, gala that they had for Festivals of Speed at the Vinoy. Okay, that was kind of cool. It was kind of breezy out a little bit. Still a little on the humid side, but it was okay. The funky weather was kind of rolling in. Eh, no big deal. That was a pretty good turnout. They had some pretty cool cars there. But Sunday was the big day. Sunday at the Festivals of Speed down at the Vinoy Park was absolutely spectacular. The weather couldn't have been better. We could not have had better, better weather for the uh, Vinoy Park Festivals of Speed. And, of course, yours truly was the uh, MC or hostess with the Moses, as you say. I'm the ghost with the most, babe. And uh, it turned out really, really good. We had some incredible cars there. We had everything from, you know, the usual Porsches, Ferraris, Lamborghinis. My buddy Don bought his, his uh, GT1 race car down there. We had, or actually at Grand Le Mans race car, Alfa Romeos. We had a number of vintage Ferraris. We had, Cleet uh, uh, brought his 330 GTC, one of my favorite Ferraris, transaxle short wheelbase car. Uh, Nino brought his 1969 Ferrari 365 GT2 plus 2. A couple of the guys from the Alfa Romeo Cup brought their cars. Porsches were everywhere. Mike brought his 75 or 74, 75 Porsche 911. Carrera Targa, no less. Very rare car. There was a 1930 Pierce Arrow there. There was one Countach there. 
Um, our friends Eric Carnival and the Tampa Bay Exotic Car Club, they brought all they brought a slew of car Ferraris. The Lamborghini uh, dealership from Sarasota was there. Bert Smith was there. Bert Smith unveiled the brand new 991.2. Still trying to figure that one out. Why Porsche came up with that 991.2 Cabriolet. Amazing car. Incredible car. Uh, go check it out. They had a white one there with kind of a reddish-colored interior. Gorgeous-looking car. Dimmit Auto Group. They brought a number of their cars there. Corsa was there. Just you name it, everybody was there. Everybody in the Tri-County area that's in the cool cars showed up at Festival of Speed, so we had a great time. Now, Bobby, what do you got queued up on the uh, tournament table? Well, hold on. we got some more events to roll through here. we got, we got some the more? April 16th oh, yeah, we got at the, the DuPont one. Registry. Uh, our good, our good uh, NRC contributor, Alan. Uh, told us the Volvo Club will be there on April 16th. Oh, really? Okay. Well, speaking of which, wait a minute. This weekend, the Mission Inn. And I say Howie in the Hills, but I'm instructed to say, I say that because I'm instructed to say, they don't want to use the word Howie in the Hills because they figure nobody knows where Howie in the Hills is. Well, it's kind of near Mount Dora by Traveras. It's a pretty nice little area up there, out in the country a little bit. It's real new. But I'm supposed to say Northwest Orlando, right? That's what we're supposed to say. Well, that's like Northwest Orlando. It's like Apopka and Longwood. But anyway, it's Howie in the Hills, and it's Mission Inn Resort. Beautiful event, beautiful venue. On the Las Colonias Fairway of the Mission Inn Resort and Spa. Yes, so that's where we will all be having a big, giant car party this Sunday. So I'm hoping that all you listeners will show up there. And if you mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, okay, you will be able to display your car for free. Right, Bobby? Yes. When you register online, festivalsofspeed.com, enter next to your name, enter Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and that will get you free registration provided by Nostalgic Radio and Cars and, of course, at Festivals of Speed. How about that? Oh, yeah, don't forget, Bear Jackson Auction is this week in Palm Beach. Be sure to join the Nostalgic Video Cars and Speed Culture team at Bear Jackson in Palm Beach. All right, Bobby, now you got something on the turntable? Yes, right, we're we going to play some Vinny songs. Yes, we're going to do something a little bit different. We have a special guest coming on for you this evening because it is the 50th anniversary of two things, two of my favorite cars. One, the 66 Shelby, Hertz Shelby, and it's also the 50th anniversary of the Trans Am Racing Series. So we have a gentleman coming on a little bit later that's been involved in both of those. So, hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. How about a little John Denver and Country Roads? Older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze. Country roads take me home to the place I belong, West Virginia. Radio 
This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Frustrated looking for car shows? Want the latest in automotive news? How about videos and podcasts? Well, check out Speed Culture, the comprehensive automotive app now available on Google Play and the App Store. Speed Culture brings you motorsports event listings based on your current location. Speed Culture also brings you the latest news feeds, videos, podcasts, and more. Speed Culture, the automotive enthusiast mobile app. For more information, check out speedcultureapp.com and download it today. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Largo Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Hi, this is Janet Guthrie. Back in 1977, I qualified for the Indianapolis 500 and also for the Daytona 500. And you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's just about time to bring our special guest on the air. But uh, let me talk about the highlight of yesterday was at uh, Festivals of Speed, which really got my attention. Um, Again, you know, I, I'm a big Ferrari fan, and, well, yeah, big Ferrari fan. Well, actually, Porsche, but I do like Ferraris. Actually, I'm more of a Lamborghini guy, but if I had to be something, of course, I can't afford any of it, but, oh, well. But there was the there was a, the there was the 330 GTC, which, uh, and Alan, I know you're listening, and Alan's probably going, oh, I'm frothing at the bit, I want to be talking about Ferraris, you know, with Robert. But uh, we had no vintage Lamborghini, but we did have the two Ferraris. We had the 69. And, uh, you know, you, what people don't realize that these cars are just really kind of, uh, I don't know how to put it, but they're, you know, they're, they were not what you would call quick cars back in the day. They were very, very fast. You know, they were street cars. Well, this past weekend, um, or last week, I had an opportunity to do an appraisal on a Ferrari 458. And uh, and a Cobra replica, a couple of motorcycles, and some other stuff. But I actually had an opportunity to drive the 458. Now I was a little reluctant and hesitant because when I got in the car, it's very very sophisticated. So by comparison, I guess where I'm going with this is the 330 GTC, which is a two seat car, 
and a true GT Gran Turismo car, you know, it was kind of like one of the performance cars. And I think they only made like five or 600 of those cars. And probably Alan's going to call up and correct me on it. But the 458 Italia, when you look at Ferraris today, they are so sophisticated, so advanced. I got in this car and again, yes, two pedals. So that's a brake and a gas pedal. And it has three buttons there. But anyway, it was a pretty cool, pretty impressive car. Eight speeds, I believe. Eight speed transmission, seven speed transmission, something like that. But it was kind of like, you now the phone's ringing. I know it was Alan. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but the car just like was like we were going 40 miles an hour and I was already in seventh gear. So it just really surprised the heck out of me. But when I look at these old vintage cars, you know, you drive these cars, these Ferraris, like just 330 GTC. You drive it with finesse. You don't hammer the gears. You don't bang on it. You really don't floor the car. You just kind of like roll through the gears. You enjoy, you truly enjoy driving. It's just kind of like a relaxing experience. It's it's kind of methodical. It's therapeutic, you know. You get in these new cars, and I guess this is where I was going with this because there, there was like two or three of those Ferrari 458s there at Festivals of Speed. And it kind of, after driving the car last week, I kind of, it was kind of like in my blood for a second. So I was actually joking with Jeff, and Jeff's uh, is really into like the Lamborghinis. He loves Lamborghinis, and and I don't blame him. I'm I'm I kind of lean more towards those too. In fact, our good friend Jim Kaminsky, who listens to our show on a regular basis, we bump into. He's uh, president of the Lamborghini Owners Club or Lamborghini Club, and uh, he, what he, was that quote that you used to find? The which one? Ferrari. If you don't. Ferrari. Oh oh, the Ferrari. If you. If you if you think you're somebody, you own a Ferrari. When you are somebody, you own a Lamborghini. Is that it? Is that yeah? What, is that's that the, the one. Is that the one? Did yeah, that, that was just someone calling up to to, to look for Alan. To look for Alan to remind me of that, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, because I recently wrote a uh, little uh, a little uh, thingy on um, some cars, and uh, I was reading through. Uh, a storyline on it, and 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 it kind of said that. So you know, the if you if you are if you think you're somebody or you want to be somebody, you buy a Ferrari. If you are somebody, you own a Lamborghini. Okay, well, and and I got to tell you that by comparison, I know they're gonna. We've had Valentino Balboni on the show. Okay, he's the factory test driver for Lamborghini, and he will attest to the fact that the Lamborghini was probably a more reliable, more practical, and a more performance-oriented car. And Quite frankly, if you talk to anybody that's a car aficionado, that is the the way it rolls. You know, Lamborghini is like the the bad boy of supercars, and a Ferrari is a nice car. But anyway, getting back to the 458. So I started looking at all the 458s that were there at the show, and I thought it's kind of growing on me a little bit. I kind of get the new car. I'm getting kind of like my old schoolness is kind of like okay, I can see why people drive this Ferrari. Because but it was still a tense car. I mean, you got in it and it felt fast. You, it was very show which is the one thing that kind of, you know, I, I'm not a ostentatious kind of person, but it was very, very showy. And the car, the car that we drove was a Spider, so it had the retractable top and everything like that, which worked very well. And it felt very good. It handled very good. It had great brakes. had great sound. Just a cool car. Bobby, I think it's part of time to call our guest while I'm rambling on here a little bit. And I think you've got something probably spinning around on the turntable that is probably kind of nostalgic because we kind of melded out a little bit this this. Uh, this uh, this evening for this evening's show because of our our guests, so we always tell the show to the guests. So we played a little, you know, little John Denver, and now we got a little Roger Miller coming out. So you're tuning into Nostalgia Freedom Cars. Don't touch that dial. We will be right back. Enjoy a little King of the Road, and there's a little significance there. King of the Road, KR. Stay tuned to the show, and you'll find out a little bit more about King of the Road. Destination Banger, Maine 
Don't pay no union dues I smoke old stogies I have found Short but not too big around I'm a man of means by no means King of the road I know It ain't locked when no one's around I sing trailers for sale or rent Rooms let 50 cents No phone, no pool, no pets I ain't got no cigarettes 1967 was a benchmark year for the Trans Am series. The title of the series was shortened to the Trans Am Championship. The number of events run in 1967 nearly doubled to a total of 12. Detroit's Big Three saw the opportunity to showcase their popular muscle cars and responded with dollars for car preparation and driver talent. The remarkable aspect of the early Trans Am series was the fact that the cars were quite literally showroom cars. Other than roll cages, seat harness, engine, and a few other minor modifications, the cars that were raced in the series were the same cars you could buy off your local car dealer's floor. This provided a unique marketing angle for Detroit to show off their increasingly popular pony cars. Mercury came into 1967 with a three-car assault with drivers Dan Gurney, Parnelli Jones, and Ed Leslie. The cars were prepared by longtime ace stock car builder Bud Moore. Ford's involvement centered around Carroll Shelby and his preparation of the Mustang, which continued to be one of Ford's sales leaders. Winning the Trans Am became a Ford Motorsports priority. Ford's program was led by Jerry Titus. Doc Thompson was a regular for the season as well, while Milt Minter, Ronnie Bucknam, and Jim Adams drove occasionally. The manufacturer's title chase for the 6702 division came down to the last race of the year at Kent in Washington State between Ford and Lincoln Mercury. With Lincoln Mercury up by one point, both teams came loaded with talent in an effort to capture the crown. Although they ran strong early, the Jones and Gurney Cougars would have mechanical trouble, and the second place earned by Ronnie Bucknam would give Ford the title for 67 by a scant two points. Hey, sports fans, Peter Brock here from BRE Racing and Aerovault Trailers. Listen to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the best automobile show in the Southeast. Okay, we're back. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. Now, this gentleman has got a pretty interesting career established with a couple of companies up in Detroit, one of them being General Motors, another one indirectly with Ford. He worked on a number of racing projects with Roger Penske and probably one of my favorite guys, the legendary Carol Shelby. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening my good friend Chuck Cantwell and former project engineer for the Shelby GT350 program. Chuck, how you doing? Fine, Robert. How are you today? Pretty good. So did uh, that little clip bring back any memories to you? Oh, of course it did. That was a wonderful season, very competitive, and a lot of opportunities to win and lose the championship over the over the course of the season. and. We managed to prevail and win it at the in the last race. It was a remarkable season, and it was very energetic for everybody involved. Now that was '67, right? Now was that yeah. what? 
67, 68, right? Is that what that was? Uh, that was 67. That was 67 season. Okay. Yeah. Was that the year that, uh, was there something about, I heard a story about it, something to do with a gas cap on the Cougar versus the Mustang or something like that? Was that that race, or was that the following year? Um, I, I don't know. I don't remember that story, I guess. <laughs> okay. What, what it was. It was. We had Dan Gurney on there, and he was talking. He was saying, that, well, the reason I lost is because we had to come in. Our gas cap uh, popped open or something like that, and we had to come in and, Therefore, we came in second or something like that. But that could have been the okay, 68th. Well, that, well, that was that was at, at Kent at that last race. Okay. Well, we had we had at that at that race our number one car, a Titus car, was in a terrible accident uh, on the on the practice on Saturday, and it really destroyed the car. So <clears throat> Jerry ended up driving uh, John McCombs' car, which didn't finish, and our and our second team car was driven by Ronnie Bucknam, who ended up second to Mark Donahue's uh, Camaro and uh, garnered enough points to, you know, to win the championship. But the race was sort of down the wire. Gurney was, Parnelli had gone off the course in front of Gurney earlier in the race and, and thrown a bunch of rocks on his windshield. And so Gurney was driving with one hand holding the windshield <coughs> out to keep it from coming in the car. And, uh, and Bucknam was um, leading him uh, and having overheating problems. So the two cars were really fighting to keep everything, to keep going to the finish, and uh, Bucknam ended up with uh, second position, so we won the championship. That's great. That's great. Well, now give us a little background with uh, on yourself. Now, you started, you were an engineer. You graduated, uh, You went. you're from Indiana originally, right? Yeah, I'm from Indiana. I'm from Speedway, which is where the track is. Okay. Oh, right in that general area? Oh, yes, right. I, I grew up about six blocks from the Indy Speedway. Oh, wow. In the, in, the ta- in the town of Speedway, too. It was. Okay. So, you know, it's funny. I didn't know that. I didn't know that the actual town is called Speedway, is it? I, yes, it is. It was. Uh, and there was always a big fight out of that. For, for years, Every almost every legislature, there was a... a uh, bill that was attempted to be passed to allow the big towns to annex the little towns. And the only, the way it was worded, the, the only two towns that it involved in, in that would fit the description of the bill was Indianapolis annexing Speedway. And the Speedway didn't want to be annexed. They were, were a separate town, <clears throat> had about uh, 5,000 people then, roughly. <clears throat> and it's, it's grown to more than that now, of course. But it was... Uh, uh, you know, it's a separate town, and the Speedway was a a big portion of the tax base, I guess, for the town. And plus, along Main Street, which was went from 10th to 16th Street, you know, six blocks long, there were a number of uh, industrial companies that had started out being involved with the Speedway. So uh, the, the town didn't really want to be part of Indianapolis, so they... Uh, Bought the bills and 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 they were never passed. Uh, so the, t- the speedway was never annexed. It was always a separate town. Interesting. So the did so the name actually originated because of the racetrack. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure it did. It okay. was. Uh, <clears throat> you know the the uh, James Allison and Carl Fisher and and A. C. Newby and uh, another uh, partner built the speedway and. Uh, they built it on this open country ground, and then the town sort of grew around the 
up around there and the Allison uh, James Allison who was one of the uh, founders was uh, also had a company that built Liberty engines for the war effort in World War one and then Allison engines for World War two and <clears throat> other other things got truck transmissions eventually and so forth so that was a big that was a big industry and and all that tax base supported the town uh, very well. Okay. Now, you worked at General Motors, and I was reading on your bio that you worked for the Allison division of General Motors. So was yeah. there, is there a connection there? Yes, there is. Oh, that was the, that was James A. Allison started the, the uh, company, and the original plant was actually plant one of uh, several big plants that were right in the same area there around Speedway. And... Uh, so and I, I co-opted. I went to GMI General Motors Tech, and uh, which was a co-op school. And so I co-opted Allison. Uh, worked eight weeks, went to school eight weeks throughout the year. So it was uh, that's that's where I started my work. And interesting. Now you started racing cars in the late fifties, and uh, so when did your love affair and your your pension for racing develop? I mean, obviously, now, if you grew up around Indy, there's no doubt in my mind that that had some influence, right? Well, it, it did, certainly. And, uh, you know, after the after the war, when the war ended, uh, you know, the track opened again. Uh, Holman bought it from Eddie Rickenbacker and, and uh, did some refurbishing and had the first race there in 46, which I didn't attend, but all the races from 47 on through the... 60s when I moved to Detroit and and uh, <clears throat> actually I came back for when I lived there when I went to California I couldn't always go to the races so but I went to m- all, all of them while I was in the area it was uh it, it was very exciting what went on in the month of May at that time because the the speedway event was a month long event uh the cars all of a sudden, all these roadsters and, and things would appear from California where all the crews came into town 1st of May. Uh, uh, there, were, there were different cars around, and uh, Frank Curtis, who was a, a primary car supplier to the Indy races at that time, uh, lived, oh, well, rented a, rented a room for the month in a house right behind my grandfather's, and it was that was on my paper route. So I, I got to see whatever car he brought at every year. It was something different, but always something interesting and unusual. So interesting, interesting. It was a good time. Okay, now that you know, Indy is roundy round. You your your first racing experience, from what I read here, is you got into uh, road racing. So tell us how that took place. Well, I just uh, yeah, I like the roundy round stuff. I, I I, we had uh, a few of us were involved with a company that that sold uh, that rented seat cushions that hooked over on a frame that hooked over the bleacher seats in the racetrack, and uh, we would vend them at the local racetrack, the Midget Speedway, and then on the other side of town, there was a track called the Speedrome, which was was featured in the early uh, Speedvision. Uh, races that they used to have uh, Saturday Night Thunder and those those kind of things. 
or at the Speedrome. So we worked both of those, and we also worked all the cushions at football games. And then, of course, at the Indy 500, we would take all the seats we could get our hands on and sell out, sell those out in, the, in an hour or so at the Speedway. But <clears throat> So I, I watched a lot of the roundy round stuff, and I liked that. The, the stuff at the Midget Speedway was uh, midgets for <laughs> one thing, uh, but also 39 and 40 Ford uh, stock cars with, with flathead V8s and things like that raced race there. But I wanted to, to do something, and uh, I didn't have the money to buy a Speedway car or a, a midget or something like that, So, or even a, a, a 39 or 40 stock car. So I could buy a sports car and, and uh, prepare that myself and, and uh, go racing, so that's what I did. Okay, and you did that for a number of years. You raced an MGA for a while, and then the MGB, yeah, right? I raced, uh, yeah, I had two MGAs. I raced a couple years apiece, and then a MGB that I raced a couple years. Then I ran other other cars. I ran an Elva BMW at the Elkhart 500, and going going to that, we a group of us that were in the ski local ski club and ice skating club were went to Elkhart Lake when one year to uh before i started racing and then saw the races up there so that's what really got me hooked on road racing i thought that was pretty cool and and one of the guys in our group had an mga that he raced so it just uh it developed from there it was it was fascinating to me and i you know i love cars and and uh and racing of all kinds so Okay. That was something I could get involved in, so that's what I did. All right, so fast forward to 1964, right? There's an yep. opportunity to go to Los Angeles to work for Carol Shelby. Tell us about that. Well, I had a, I, I, I was in, in, in Detroit and working there and, and actively racing, and there was a large group of people in the Detroit area that, that raced sports cars. It was pretty pretty successful when we go to a divisional race. We usually took home a lot of trophies and, as, as a group. So it was, and everybody from, uh, a lot of the people worked for the different car companies. So we all sort of had a, a bunch of cross knowledge of each other. <clears throat> and I was on the board of directors of uh, the SCCA region there and, and the Waterford Hills uh, race, race course. There, so I had a friend that worked for Chevrolet initially, and and transferred. He got a job at Ford, uh, and his job was as a liaison guy between Ford Special Vehicles and Shelby American on this, relating to some new Mustang car that they were going to make into a race car. So Sam had and I were good friends, so he he called me up and said, let's have dinner, and I got something to talk about. So he ended up <clears throat> convincing me that I should, uh, uh, you know, apply for this job and, and see what happens. So I, I did that, and and that's how I got the job initially. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so then what was your first responsibility? Well, I, I was the, the job was project engineer on the GT350, so we, we had to start from a... A uh, clean sheet of paper and and uh, and you know lay out what the car was going to be and then go 
uh, I spent a couple of weeks at Ford doing that with with this uh, gentleman, Sam Smith, who was in Ray Geddes' department, and uh, and then I went out to out to out to Shelby American, and and we ordered three cars and started working um, to build them up, and then we ordered, of course, more cars as as uh, we were able to. We were supposed to build. Uh, um, hundred cars by the end of the year, and we didn't do that. But we had a hundred cars on site that were partially started, and there and about a dozen or fifteen cars finished uh, by that time. So, uh, you know, the purpose of the GT350 was to uh, qualify a racing version that could be uh, raced against the Corvettes and uh, try to beat the Corvettes in B production. The uh, Cobras had done a job on the Corvettes in A production, and uh, Shelby wanted and Iacocca wanted to continue that streak in B production, which the Shelby uh, GT350, as it was subsequently called, uh, was going to be involved in. So uh, that was that was the effort we had to build so many uh, street cars. Uh, before we could qualify, you know, to have a racing version and uh, and qualify that car <coughs> as a uh, sports car, make it a two-seater and some other restrictions, um, and then that would allow us to build a racing version and, and uh, go race it. Okay. So what were, when you first saw the car, what was your thought? And, and, and at the time, they had a coupe. A fastback and a convertible. So, was the fastback the logical choice? Well, the fastback was a logical choice, but it wasn't even when I started talking to Sam Smith about about the the job. Uh, things weren't even hadn't progressed that far. The fastback wasn't even produced. So that was the the plan was in Ford's mind was to use the fastback uh, as a. Sh- it was sort of called a Shelby Mustang at that time before they got the GT350 name. But the um, plan was to use the Fastback because it was more like a sports car. And uh, through some negotiations with SCCA, uh, we ma- managed to you know, come up with an agreement where if we made it a two-passenger car and, and uh, put some of the chassis specifications built that into the all the street cars then then we could use that as a race car with some other additional modifications that all of the scca cars mgs uh sprites corvettes whatever could uh could make you know certain modifications so uh that would be allowed with our cars too okay now the infamous name gt350 where did that come from well, you know, I have to say that I don't really know, <laughs> but common knowledge and lore and everything states that uh, um, Shelby and was talking to Phil Remington, trying to they're trying to decide what to call this thing. Besides Shelby Mustang, they thought that was a <clears throat> didn't didn't uh, Shelby didn't really like that. Wanted something more definitive, so they, they were talking about this problem and Shelby asked Phil said, How far is it over to that between the 
Princeton Street and the Carter Street building, which were two buildings that we had sort of adjacent to each <coughs> each other, but there was a big a vacant lot between them, and they were on two different streets. So Phil said, oh, that's about 350 feet, and Shelby said, okay, that's a good number. We'll, we'll call it the GT350. And uh, so that stuck, and the GT500 was just sort of a upgraded number, arbitrarily picked later when, when the 500s were built with the big engines. Okay. Now, getting back to the GT350, the race car, did you, at one point, were you limited on what you could do, or did you, or did you have, like, carte blanche as to, you know, we could, bend, we could stay within the, the, the parameters of the rules, and that was okay, but did you guys ever want to take it a little bit more extreme? Than that, well, it was, the, the rules were the rules. So okay, we uh, and we agreed to the rules when we got the when we talked John Bishop from SCCA into certifying us as a as a sports car and giving us a classification. So um, the, the the rule we had plenty of leeway in in uh, d- doing the car, but it was uh, mainly a manner of preparing the the street car had. Most of the chassis uh, stuff on it, the you know, a bars or the a frames were lowered, and the the um, car had coney shocks on it, and had clo- uh, close ratio transmission and and uh, no spin locker in the rear end. So <clears throat> at that plus you could race prepare the engine. So we had a good engine that, that uh, and a lot of experience with it in the Cobras as to how to race prepare the engine, so we were allowed to do that. And uh, that and the addition of a larger radiator, and Pete Brock had designed a rear window with a little with an air gap at the top. And uh, we, we took off the bumper and the front valence, metal valence, and made a, a um, fiberglass uh, panel that, that replaced the bumper and the front valence and had a dip in the front which would uh, expose the oil cooler, which we had in front of the radiator, to the fresh air coming in in the front of the car <clears> to <throat> keep it cool. So uh, those kind of things were were done within. But they, they were pretty well, I mean, the ideas were, were pretty well thought out and, uh, and were discussed with John Bishop, so he knew what was coming. We didn't blindside him with anything because... Um, he had been kind enough to look at our proposal. Initially, he had Ford had gone to him with a proposal, and uh, they turned it down flat. But uh, after Shelby talked to him and they dis- discussed some of the things, it was easy to come to an agreeable configuration that would um, allow the car to to race in the, under the SCCA rules. You did a lot of testing at Willow Springs. Was that kind of like the track of choice for you guys back then? Well, it was. We did some early testing at Riverside, and then over the years we would go to Riverside once in a while. For the 67 Trans Am cars, we, we, we did the initial test at Riverside because they had the really long stock car back straight away. Our goal was to make sure we got cars that do 150 and... and uh, Everything was okay uh, at that, so we used Riverside for that. And once in a while, we'd go there for uh, comparative tests. But most of our testing was done at Willow Springs. It was uh, they both were the same length course, 
uh, Willow was a little bit faster, but the, the lap times were about the same. Just the configuration was different. And Willow had a, one real high-speed turn, and uh, it, it was a good test track to, to uh, test the cars on. Now, Willow is still there, and that is, uh, is that where the Shelby School was back in the day? Well, yeah, they had the Shelby. The Shelby School was out at Willow Springs. Right? Okay. And how far was that from the tr- from uh, your uh, shop facility? That was, well, it was quite a drive. Same as Riverside. It was about 90 miles. Oh, okay. So, so it was a, you know, a, a good brisk hour and a half drive to get out there. And uh, <clears throat> we would fly occasionally with Miles would... Uh, had just gotten his pilot's license, and Shelby had a Cessna airplane, so we flew out for testing a couple of times in that, and uh, flew out with Bondran, had a Mooney with a, a low-wing uh, monoplane with a retractable landing gears, and, and we flew out with that. Bondran was a more experienced pilot. He'd flown for quite a while, and, and uh, Miles was still sort of learning his way around in the air. Did that kind of make you nervous? Well, we, <laughs> we we did a few things. First, the first time out of the hangar, we hit knock, hit the wingtip on the door. It didn't have it open quite far <laughs> enough. <laughs> and had to put some duct tape on there. And then uh, coming back, we ended up flying across the end of the LAX runway, which we shouldn't have done, but the air controllers couldn't seem to find us on their radar. So. <laughs> and then the next, next time out, we stood the airplane up on its nose and bent the wing and... <clears throat> A couple things like that. So <laughs> My uh, we uh, we had <laughs> flying with Miles was more of an adventure than <laughs> with Bondurant. Sounds like it. All right, hey Chuck, we're just about out of time now. We didn't get a chance to go into all the stuff, and I want to bring you on again. So definitely come back on again because it is the 50th anniversary of the Hertz Shelby, which I want to get into that, and it's also the 50th anniversary of the Trans Am series. Now let me just ask you real quick because we got a minute left. Do you remember what month the first Trans Am race took place, and where was it? Uh, no, no, I don't. <laughs> first Trans Am race was at Sebring. Oh, was it? It was in 66. We didn't have a team. We built cars for customers that year in 66 and, and designed the first uh, the first Mustang Trans Am car in, in the month of December, uh, doing all the homologation papers. And then we, in the early in January, we built a car to those specifications Okay. Uh, and tested it. Well, that... And that was where it began. And then we built cars for customers, and a couple of them were at the race at Sebring. Okay. Well, we're definitely going to have you come on again. We're just about out of time. Chuck, I want to thank you very much for coming on to Nostalgic Premium Cars. I want to thank Chuck Cantwell, the project engineer, project manager for the GT350 program for Carroll Shelby back in the day. And uh, probably without Chuck, we probably wouldn't have this uh, infamous car. I want my listeners to tune in to Nostalgic Premium Cars every Tuesday night between 7 and 8 p.m. for the most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Like us on Facebook. What else we got there, Bobby? Help me out here with the social media deal. Twitter and Periscope at NRC on air. Oh, yeah. And if you miss any of our past shows, be sure and check out Nostalgic Game Cards podcast. On our website, we got Festival Speed this weekend. Be sure and show up there, guys. Check out Speed Culture, the mobile enthusiast app. In the meantime, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.
telling tales out of school, but there's a feller in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker.